0: Welcome to Liberty in America, past, present, and future with Dr. Bill Choby. Doc is a historian and a reenactor. On this show, you'll hear his thoughts about our personal liberties from their earliest recorded beginnings. You'll also be transported back to the 1750s to relive the life of Colonel George Washington and his adventures during the French and Indian War. Let's get started. Here's Dr. Bill Choby. Well, hello again, Dr. Bill Chobe here. We're talking about liberty in America, past, present, and future. uh, Discussing items that within my book of the same name. Um, The main theme of my book has been that uh, very simple. When might is right, people live in bondage. When right is might, people live in freedom. When right becomes wrong, there's chaos until either might or right he comes back in control. We have a choice of either going into bondage or freedom. Today, we're going to talk about liberty. Today, this is two thousand twenty-three, and uh, some of this stuff is going to be a little hard to take. Uh, mind you, that a lot of this has come about from my own personal experiences uh, as a congressional candidate, as a expert in my field. When I say expert, I mean I've testified in a dozen trials. Uh, relating to dental uh, services and malpractice and standards and such. Uh, it also comes from my background as a master in public administration that I received from Virginia Tech when I wrote uh, my thesis was licensure in a dental uh, market, which had to do with discussing the administrative state within the state, in the states plural, and how it affected my uh, our profession or my profession of dentistry. I also want to go into some local examples of what I see happening nationally uh, across the country as a way to demonstrate that liberty today is more like uh, might is right more in bondage. But first, let's do a little uh, reflection of where we are as a society today. You know, we see the news every day of all these horrible, uh, acts of inhumanity to each other. Occurring in our different uh, cities and and states, no matter what, whether it be big or small. But we have uh, five year old kids that are being taught about gender, about sex. We have six year olds are uh, taught about how they can select their own gender. And the sad part of all this is, I saw a poll today that said that forty uh, some percent of people think that you can select your gender as you get older. I mean, that's really crazy. But six-year-olds are being taught that they can change their gender. Seven-year-olds are running around with cell phones and and iPhones and they're onto the internet and social media and they're looking at TikTok and many other things that uh, if it were on the big screen would be prohibited by R-rated or very minimum PG-related. But they have all that right in their pocket with these cell phones. We have eight-year-olds that are being abused by, sexually abused by adults pedophilia is growing crazy it's growing wild and it's at literally all levels of society most importantly we see much of this happening from the invasion of uh, all the illegal aliens that are coming through our borders with so many of these children being sold into sex lives of uh, or sex slaves or indentured servitude, which is prohibited, by the way, by the 13th Amendment. We have uh, nine-year-olds watching online pornography, 10-year-olds experimenting with alcohol, 11-year-olds are given condoms by our teachers and shown how to use them, 12-year-olds are carrying knives to school, 13-year-olds having abortions, 14-year-olds addicted to drugs, 15-year-olds dying from fentanyl-laced crack cocaine, Sixteen-year-olds involved in gunfights, particularly in Chicago. Seventeen-year-olds, graduates from high school, are functionally illiterate. Their reading and writing and arithmetic skills are well below what's required to go out and function in the real working world. Eighteen-year-olds who can't keep a job, They don't know how to work. Nineteen-year-olds filing for divorce. 20-year-olds suicides, really. Mostly among young men, suicides. And we get into the 30s. They um, There's a lot of them that believe that climate's going to kill us in 10 years. You know, climate change, which is insane. As I mentioned before, the, the sea level at uh, Plymouth Rock hasn't changed in 400 years. And yet these people believe that the world's going to be inundated by melting ice caps. So it's just beyond me how why people would feel this way or think this way, but they've been given this steady diet of climate, climate, climate. We're responsible. All well, the, the uh, polar bears are going to die. Everybody's going to die because uh, we drive around in SUVs and we get our electricity from coal and oil is somehow a horrible thing. And then we get into the middle age. We have never before we've we seen 40- and 50-year-olds dying of drug addictions. Drug overdoses. It's so common that Narcan is given out freely, and many of these people are being revived by the EMTs with Narcan. These people come out of their dope, uh, dope and stupor, and they're belligerent. They're angry. They hit these guys. They hit people who are there to help them to save their lives, and they get angry because they come out of their buzz by the Narcan. But it goes on. We see people in their sixties. All you have to do is go to the casinos and see what's there. In Pennsylvania, we have a number of them where you know you just walk into them. Uh, and I've done this at different times. Well, not only here, but Las Vegas, when I would go there to, to take courses in my profession. You know, I don't gamble, uh, and I I won't judge anybody that does. But I think it's a lot more serious than just there for entertainment. When you look at the crowds. The types of people that are in those gambling halls you know that it's they've got serious problems but many of them are falling for bankruptcy because of it and then what where goes the life savings we have scammers out there that are hitting on the elderly for uh, online dating for calling you know, people being called saying that somebody's Relative is in prison or jail and need money to get out. They've been in a horrible accident. And a lot of people get scammed older people who generally learn through life that trusting others is a necessary component of health. And these scammers come in there. they're, They're ruthless in what they will do to get money from older people. And I've been attacked by scammers left and right, particularly romance scammers. I had to finally put that I'm married on the on my profile of Facebook just to keep them away from me. But I've got it all the time and they promise you everything and they want your money. And then we have 70 and 80-year-olds who are abandoned by their families and they're seeking euthanasia, even suicides. Suicides in in elderly is, is really a very unspoken problem, but it's there. Whatever happened? What happened to this? I mean, I remember in America when I grew up in the 50s and 60s, we felt safe. Now there was threats of nuclear war and things like that. And I remember crawling under the desk when we'd have these, you know, tests of what to do when a, when the nuclear bombs come. And, but we were we felt safe. Keys were left in cars. In fact, I remember my dad had a Chevy that was a Chevy station wagon. You could start it without a key. It was that safe? Doors left unlocked at night. Kids would go out and play in the streets. In the woods, like we did. It wasn't a day that went past where we went running around in the woods and streams or playing in the pond or just hanging out in the front yard playing capture the flag or football or baseball or just riding our bicycles with our uh, baseball cards in the spokes to make it sound <laughs> like we were motorcycles. We never wore helmets. Kids didn't get hurt. If they did, they went home, you know, mom patched them up and they're back out there in a the bunch. With the rest of us. That was America. That experience. You can talk to anybody in their 70s and 80s. And they'll tell you that was the experience across this country. Now, why did that happen? Well, my parents came out of World War II, the Great Depression. And they were called the greatest generation. And they were fed up with violence. They were fed up with war. They were fed up with destruction. They were fed up with not having things. And they worked really hard to give their kids everything they didn't have. And quite frankly, I think they spoiled a whole generation of baby boomers, which were spoiled. And we saw that this came out of the 60s when people were rebelling against the man. You know, of course, they were rebelling against Vietnam War. Uh, we saw that the death of a president, JFK, was shot. We find recently that it was by our CIA, our own government. They feared him. And that we had a, the... Death of of uh, Martin Luther King, and that started to shake the very foundation of trust that we have within our government. When LBJ came along, and he accelerated the Vietnam War, he dove into the Social Security trust funds, started handing money out to people. The Great Society came along, and gradually, people became more dependent upon government than themselves. And really, that's the source of what brings us to where we are today. People trust government literally over God. And they've done this because they've been handed a steady diet. These things that uh, do this or do that the way the government wants you to do it, they will reward it or they will punish you, a carrot and stick approach. That's where it's, it's in every level of what were once trusted institutions. Educators, when I grew up, you never talk back to your teacher. You get smacked. And that worked out. My generation, they grew up knowing the difference between right and wrong. They grew up knowing that it was important to respect older people. We called adults by their mister or missus or by their other titles. We didn't call them by their first names. They were important. That difference was important. We respected the policemen. We respected politicians, we respected teachers, we respected respected pastors and priests. And because there was that respect there, the society was stable. Families were stable. Moms and dads stayed together, even though they disagreed. They stayed together for the children. They hung in there when times got tough. Because it's during tough times that you see the real fiber of people. Well, that started to all go away. LBJ's Great Society, lots of money going in, the breakdown of, of trust in government with uh, the Nixon uh, fiasco with Watergate. Reporters learned that they could take down a president. Reporters, they're supposed to be journalists. They're supposed to give us snapshots of what's actually going on in our world. But instead, they became activists. And they got to the point where they felt they were power brokers, political power brokers. All along, the idea that the, you could stay in power, a politician could stay in power for a career by simply promising freebies. And every time an election cycle came around, there was more freebies to offer. And one freebie on top of another, on top of another, top of another. Next thing you know, you got people looking just as a pet would look to you if you gave them more and more food or wild animals. You give them more and more food. They're going to come around depend on you. That's what the government did to people. And in exchange for all these freebies, you had to live the way they wanted you to. You had to live where they wanted you to and what kind of housing you had and where you went to school. At the same time, all of those freebies began to compete for the role of the father in the home. No longer was he a primary provider. When I grew up, all the families that I knew, there was one provider. We didn't have to go have two people working, mostly because we didn't have to pay the taxes we pay today. But as more and more voters voted for more and more government, of course that meant there had to be more taxes in order to pay for that government. And along comes, like seeing so you know, you have to have two incomes to maintain a standard of living that you'd like, or to grow, or to send your kids to school. So what happens when you have two wage earners within a family? Well, you have competition for who does what. Who's going to be in control? And the kids suffer. Kids are left to their own means to entertain themselves and they get into trouble. So it's really the growth of government. And we see that continuing up to the Carter years. It wasn't until Ronald Reagan came along, we saw some of that reversed. And we started to regain some of that original idea of what it was like to live in America, a free country. And that worked for a while, about 10 years or so. And then along came Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a unique figure. He had many flaws that would have otherwise made him ineligible to ever be president. Many, many flaws. And probably his piccadillos were the most famous. But, you know, people looked at a presidency as sort of a gauge, a barometer of the moral status of America. We saw that happen through LBJ. I saw it happen. I was in high school and college till then. He was a failure. He lied to us about Vietnam. He made a mess out of everything. The riots of the 60s and the 70s largely came from a lack of trust in the in the presidency. And that was LBJ. Well, Bill Clinton came along. He did a lot of damage. And he was allowed to do this because there was a complicit media that, that liked him. And they didn't like the fact that there was uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, who was more of a grandfatherly type, carrying conservative principles. But Bill Clinton was cool. He's a cool kid. Yeah, we'll let him go. We'll let things slide. So what's his legacy? Oh, We all know the Monica Lewinsky situation. What you may not know is that the incidence of oral inferential cancer skyrocket among young people long after that hit the the, uh, the airways. You see, when I was in dental school, we were taught that oral cancer primarily happened to old men who smoked cigars and drank whiskey, sort of like the Ulysses Grant type, because that's what happened to him. And we were stunned in the the early 2000s, and I was stunned. And I testified in trials on this, where the, the, the diagnosis of oral cancer was missed by other practitioners. We were stunned to find that these were now popping up in the populations of 30-somethings. In some cases, some trophy wives were very physically active and healthy. Oral cancer killing them. It's five-year survival rate. is very low. That came as a reflection of the moral standards brought on to us by Bill Clinton and the fact that the media and the Congress let him get away with that. You see, it's so important that we have some type of moral standard, some type of moral uniformity that the entire country can look to. And we go back in, now, we go into the two thousands with George W. Bush. Of course, we had nine eleven. There was everybody was concerned about the safety of America. All of a sudden, after nine eleven, people went back to churches, and there's American flags all over the yards, and there was a, a, a pulse of. Uh, patriotism that came back, but gradually that faded away. And by the time we got down to the end of the, the first decade of the 2000s, we have a crisis of uh, financing brought on by Democrat policies who tried to give everybody a house, even though they weren't qualified to, to afford one. They mixed the bad loans with the good ones and everything crashed. Usher in Barack Obama. Hope we can believe in it's going to change, fundamentally change America. Well, he started to, and he's still doing it today. All of these things contribute to the chaos that we're experiencing today. Now, if we look at the uh, uh, the function of government and the liberty that we experience in government, this, these two examples are from my own personal experience. Back in the 80s, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a case called Bates versus Arizona State Bar where an attorney by the name of Bates filed a lawsuit against the Arizona State Bar, the law firm or law organization, saying that he wanted to advertise, and they reprimanded him. They said he couldn't, and he went and fought it to the Supreme Court, which then decided that it's a matter of free speech, and the the attorney was entitled to it, and the the State uh, Bar in Arizona was wrong. Well, that set a standard that, professionals can advertise across the country seeing this as the, the new reality i've sent an advertisement in the yellow pages of a local directory in my hometown of johnstown it was a, the salesman of the of uh, the yellow pages that came and told me where to do it how to do it and my name was listed i have my degree as a dmd dental medicine doctor and my uh, advertisement was a tiny one-line Uh, entry into the yellow pages among physicians, MDs and DOs. The board of dentistry hated advertising. An ad dentist, if you were an ad dentist in my profession in the eighties, you were an outcast across the country. So this board of dentistry decided that they were going to make an example of me. And after Three hearings where my my due process rights of simple separation of prosecutor, judge, and jury did not occur. They were the all three tied up in one bunch. Over three months, they deliberated back and forth, some of which weren't even at the hearing. And they decided that they were going to reprimand me, which means I stole my license. They they didn't even find me. They just said, don't do it again. But that was carried by the professional organization, the Pennsylvania Dental Association, all across the state through their journals. And within three months, my practice disappeared. Eventually, I had to file for bankruptcy. I told my attorney, who was supposedly representing me, that I wanted to file an appeal. I actually wrote a letter to the State Board of Dentistry saying that my rights of due process were violated. And I had no idea, other than my own background and history and, you know, reading, what all this meant. But I knew there was something fundamentally wrong. If I had gotten to a real trial a real judge, I would have won. But my attorney, I believe, deliberately dropped the ball, and I missed my appeal because it wasn't filed on a timely basis. And I was stuck with this mark on my record that, that haunted me for 20 years. It cost me tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Here we had people who were appointed by a governor to serve on a commission, on a board. There's no accountability to them. It was fire and forget. Once they're on there, they do their thing. They can't get rid of them, even if they make grievous mistakes. There was many others in Pennsylvania that had problems with these licensing boards. One out of 12 people in Pennsylvania were licensed, and you were governed by the board that was appointed by political people for political reasons with no knowledge at all about the rights, the fundamental rights of Americans. And over a thousand licensees in the state were harmed by this terrible setup in fact there was a quota system and the new young buck attorneys prosecutors who wanted to make a name for themselves they went after the low fruit the easy ones and they let some of the bad guys really get away because all they were concerned about was putting notches in their belt and advancing up the ladder no concern at all about the due process so my personal experience actually that's what led me to go back to school and get my master's in public administration and i fought with those guys and eventually the federal trade commission sided with me and apparently, all of the boards in Pennsylvania and health opposed advertising. But after I got the Federal Trade Commission to intervene, suddenly advertising was accepted across the state and you see it today and the, and the benefit that it's had to many people to be able to choose their own providers based upon information, whether it be through reviews online or through television ads or articles or whatever have you it was an unprecedented change in how we we shop for healthcare care that was because of me. Because of what they did to me let's fast forward a couple of years i'm in the town of johnstown and uh i want to sell my house because i moved my practice to another city and i found that i had to have my sewage line checked and i said well what for well the dea or the uh i'm sorry dep department of environmental protection in pennsylvania decided that the sewage system in the in the area uh, would overflow if a certain amount of rain got into the system and it would happen maybe once or twice a year and that was unacceptable that there was sewage then would go into the local river so the simple thing to do was to expand the size of the sewage plant but no instead they decided that all this extra water was coming in through downspouts that were connected to the sewage and other means but rather than saying to everyone, just take your down spots, put them out in the street or put them out in the lawn, take them out of the sewage system and have at it, they decided that, the local people decided that, local politicians, that it was better to require every resident to put in a whole new sewer line under their homes. One that was put in with PVC pipe that was tested to 15 pounds for five minutes or five minutes for 15 pounds, five pounds for 15 minutes at costs of tens of thousands of dollars. And you couldn't sell your house unless this was done. So I fought them. I took them to court. I said, this is a violation of privacy. It's a violation of my fundamental right as an American, that I don't have to allow government inside my house. So off we went to court, had all these examples. I was right that they had been doing this for 10 years or more because they kept it on the QT. Most people didn't know until they went to sell your house. So we took it to court. I hired a Harvard lawyer. We made our case, and the judge, looking at this, and looking at the the attorneys and the the all the people that are lined up and making big bucks out of this, and rather than ruling on it, he said, "I'm not going to rule." I mean, there's a judge. He's hired. That's his job to make a decision. He decided not to make a decision. So the default effect was that I had to have my basement dug up, lines replaced before I could sell my home. But at that point, I realized it's it's a waste of money to be fighting with these people. But the entire town was required to do this. It violated the rights of everybody in the town. Clearly a violation of privacy. Where were the checks and balances? I went back through the the enabling legislation, the Municipal Authorities Act of Pennsylvania. Where do you have a group of people like this? Get the authority. This was, at the time... This was a redevelopment authority. It was not in their charter that they could be involved with sewage. Didn't matter. Just went ahead and did anyhow. When we check on why they did it, who they checked with, well, the attorney for the, uh, the redevelopment authority, they used their own law firm as a resource, which is a conflict of interest. And later on, they profited by these uh, challenges and by all these legal actions. So there's there's a, an example at a, a local level of government run amok. Most people have no idea that these bureaucrats or these agencies are required to stay within the confines of the legislation that created them, that their chartered itself limits how what they can do. did matter. Of course, the local judge didn't want to vote or didn't want to rule on it because, well, he's going to retire soon and he didn't want to make any waves. He did. So you see, this is a problem. Not only is it going on at a federal level, but we'd see with the expansion of the powers of the EPA and uh, this group, this federal agency or that federal agency telling us what we can and cannot do. And if you're going to fight with these people, you've got to use your post-tax dollars. They use your tax dollars to fight you with your post-tax dollars. So it's, it's a losing proposition. And it's very hard to win. You can, but it takes a lot of money. And oftentimes it takes going up to the Supreme Court, just as it was with Bates and Arizona State Bar. So that should have never happened. But that's what happened in this country, and a lot of it's because of a lack of respect for the Constitution and understanding the basic principles of the Constitution. All these experiences that I've had directly gave me the impetus to write these things down to write this book because I wanted to share this for to show people that this is for real and it's here for today. America is a, a country. United States, a country that's founded on a Constitution. We are a constitutional republic, and anybody that says that this is a democracy is lying to you. But that's part of the mantra, just like the pro-abortion people say it's pro-choice to make it sound better. It's the apples and oranges uh, thing. What do you get as a fruit salad? It's a little truth, a little lie. Next thing you know, you're you're repeating the lie. America is not a democracy. And I cringe when I hear Republicans say it's a democracy. We are not a democracy. The only time the word democracy was used in our founding discussions was to say, we don't want it. It's in none of our founding documents. But you hear it over and over again. And this is the gradual creep of these progressive ideas that's given us the liberty we have today. started over a hundred years ago with Woodrow Wilson. He was a racist. We know that. We talked about how the 16th Amendment and interfered with the liberty of Americans and how it's just grown to this behemoth today. It's a fearful agency. The 17th Amendment took away one of the checks and balances by having the senators elected directly and, and every six years they have a food fight over who's going to be there. Rather than having the states through reason debate and logic appointing somebody who's going to keep an eye on the states and, and keep the federal government in check, now you've got the senators are there digging in with the rest of them and just Divvying up the pile of money that comes in. So. What are we going to do? When might is right. people in bondage. We live in bondage today. Bondage to government at all levels. Are we going to sit and take it? We're going to continue to live in bondage. Are we going to do something about it? When right is might, we're free. Well, what is right? Who says what's right? Well, one time the Judeo Christian tradition that God is right, that his laws are right. The Ten Commandments, the first written rule of law that I discussed in our opening uh podcast. Those commandments gave us Western civilization. We've forgotten that. In fact, people who are considered to be Christian men particularly are considered to be domestic terrorists because we speak about honor and truth and those sorts of things. So here we are. Men want to be like women, women don't want to be like men. Kids are lost, anxiety, pills, suicides, mass shootings, divorces, all these things that are tearing apart the fabric of Americans came about by the growth of government. Deliberately, mind you, to change our constitutional republic into a social democracy with the minority in charge, telling the majority how to live, while telling at the same time that they have a choice in what happens here when they don't. We're not a democracy. Not when you have an oligarch running the the country. Joe Biden's a primary example. Of what happens when a small minority of people are running the show. He's just a figurehead. He's like the king of England, just or the queen of England. They're figureheads. It has nothing to do with executive power. All of this brought about by the progressive advance of these ideas that we know will fail because they failed all over the world. The progressive advance of ideas to take away the authority of men to insert the role of government and eventually the heavy hand of government to do what the will of the, the small people who the liberals who want to run the show and play god over our lives we have forgotten god that's what lincoln said before the civil war i dare say that i suspect that there's even great greater trouble coming because of all the confusion, of all the chaos, so many people don't know how to make good decisions. Look what happened during COVID—the mess that happened there. The government telling us how we are supposed to be shut down, how we are supposed to be wearing masks. And if you dare spoke against the government's mandate, Doctor Fossey at all, their physicians lost their licenses because they spoke out against the the charade that it was. That's heavy handed government. That's bondage. So we must take it back if we we want to have the liberty and freedom that we were endowed by our Creator, that was handed to us through much blood, sweat, and tears, and the great trials and triumphs of our history to reclaim what it is to be an American, to be that city on the hill, to be that new Jerusalem of Western civilization. To be the land of hope and freedom, we have to take it back. And quite frankly, I think that if we don't willfully do this, we follow on the path that we're on. With with the media, social media, and the manipulation that goes on there, that we're facing major, major economic upheaval. We're facing lots of crime, lots of violence. That's usually against the, the weakest among us. It may take something that drastic, that bad, that hurtful, that painful, to get people to get out of their stupor of this lifestyle, that everything's fine when it's not. The good book says that if we do as th- as we wish, not Thy will, but my will. There's chaos. Do as thou wilt. Do what you want. We do what's right in our own eyes. There's chaos. That's where we're living today. I thank you for your attention today. I hope this makes you think a little bit about where we're going. I would encourage you to challenge those who continue to tell us that this is a democracy. To correct them. And that this is a constitutional republic where our civil rights are defined in our constitution, not by what a politician says. Stand up to these people. Write letters to the editor. Tell them again and again, we're not a democracy. Correct them every time you hear it. We are a constitutional republic. Remember, in our Pledge of Allegiance, it's not to the flag of the republic or of the democracy. It's the flag of the republic. Okay, enough said for today. Thanks for listening. See you next time.